Have you noticed that ever since it became clear that Republicans will very likely retake Congress in the fall, our old pal, Dr. Fauci, has toned down all of his political demands. The man who locked us all down for two years has just disappeared. He's stopped appearing on TV. He's announced that he plans to retire by the time Biden leaves office. And now, now he is denying that he ever even did all the stuff that he did during COVID. There were um, authorities that made different decisions than the CDC's recommendations, for example, on school closures, and they did not see higher levels of child mortality when it comes to COVID. And meanwhile, the schools that did close down were now seeing just disastrous levels of learning loss among poor children, children of color, mental health crisis. I wonder if you would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. Well, you know, again, it's uh, first of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're, you're, you're asking me questions. You're talking about the CDC is the public health agency mm -hmm. that uses their epidemiologists and their science based approach to make recommendations. Locking down? What are you? Hold on, me? You're talking good old Dr. Fauci? You think I would ever want to? Oh, come on. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. You think that I, the beloved Dr. Fauci, would ever have spent two full years trying to lock down the entire country? That's, you're crazy, lady. So I, he's, he seems so sincere. He seems so earnest in his denial. I thought maybe, maybe I'm misremembering it. I just, I have this distinct memory of Dr. Anthony Fauci recommending repeatedly that we lock down the entire country. When it became clear that when we had um, community spread in the country with a few cases of community spread. This was way before there was a major explosion like we saw in the Northeastern corridor driven by New York City metropolitan area. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. Uh, and that was very difficult decision because I knew it would have serious economic consequences, which it did. Oh, okay. All right. Because that that clip we just listened to, that was from a couple of years ago. The clip we listened to before that, that was just from a couple of days ago. And uh, Fauci just completely changed his story. But we heard it. We, we have the tapes. We, ha we have our memories, but we actually have them on film. He says, I recommended to the president that we shut down the country, even though it would have very terrible economic consequences, which it did. He's even admitting that it did. So what happened? Did Dr. Fauci just forget that? I thought he was such a smart guy. He's got all those fancy degrees. He's such a genius. He's so responsible. Did Fauci just forget his advice? Did he forget the pandemic? And did he forget his decisive role in the last two years of American life? I don't think so. I, I think the answer is a lot simpler than that. I think Dr. Fauci's political machinations, all the things he says, start to make a lot more sense once you understand that the man is simply a liar. He just lies. He lies with ease. For 40 years, he has lied with impunity. And when Republicans retake the Congress, they need to make this little Napoleon in the lab coat answer for every one of those lies and every one of those misdirections that have led to so much misery for so many people for more than two years now. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show.
Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Mozzarella, who says, Michael, if bestiality is wrong, then why isn't it called worstiality? You make such a great point. I really never thought of it that way. But you're right. Shouldn't it be called worstiality? What's the deal with that? You guys hear about that? Tip your waitress. You know, when I think of, of services that are the absolute best in their class, you know, right first thing comes to mind, rock auto. Right now, go to rockauto.com, enter Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box. Do you ever get frustrated when a salesman tries to sell you a product that he knows absolutely nothing about, usually just because it's the most expensive thing? You go to a restaurant, you say, what kind of wine do you recommend? They always point to the most expensive wine on the menu. You go into any kind of store, you say, oh, what, what kind of shoes should I buy? They say, buy the most expensive shoes, right? Even though they're not the right shoes for you. Drives me crazy. This is one of the things I love about rockauto.com. These guys are not trying to push the shiniest or the most expensive product or the product with the most marketing behind it. They sell auto parts because it's what they know and they sell the ones that work for you. And there, there's no hidden agenda here. They're not trying to push this one part over the other. You go onto rockauto.com. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You go, they've got a super easy to navigate website. You find exactly the part you need for the make, the model of your car or truck, same prices for pros and do-it-yourselfers. No gimmicks, go to rockauto.com. Get the brakes, shocks, carpet, wipers, headlights, mirrors, mufflers, lug nuts, or any other part you need, rockauto.com. And then be sure to write Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Dr. Fauci's looking a little nervous. I don't, I'm not saying I see beads of sweat, but he's acting a little more nervous than he usually does. Dr. Fauci is usually so extremely confident. Now, now he's pulling away from the cameras, which is a very difficult thing for Fauci to do. Most dangerous place in Washington is between Fauci and a TV camera. Now he's saying, I will retire at the end of Biden's term. Now he's saying, look, I've got nothing to hide. If Rand Paul and all those Republicans in the Senate want to investigate me, fine. Your reaction to Rand Paul and others saying they're going to investigate you if they take power. Well, there's there's no reason to do that. But if they want to go ahead, my records are an open book. They are talking about things that are really bizarre, John, like crimes against democracy by shutting down the government. All I have ever done and go back and look at everything I've ever done was to recommend common sense, good CDC recommended public health policies that have saved millions of lives. If you want to investigate for me for that, go ahead. Okay, sounds good. I think we'll do that then. Listen here, I've never done anything wrong. Oh, good. Then that, the investigation should go just fine, right? Except I seem to recall, well, I seem to recall that five seconds ago you lied about your role in the lockdown, so that's not good. I seem to recall at the very beginning of the pandemic, you lied. You explicitly lied about your opinion of the efficacy of the face masks. You said, Face masks don't work. I'm only slightly paraphrasing. Face masks don't work. Don't wear a face mask, especially in the early days of a pandemic when it's spreading like wildfire. Doesn't do anything. It's not going to stop you from getting it. Five seconds later, he says, okay, actually they work. I just didn't want to tell you that because I wanted to save the masks for my friends in public health. I did not want, I thought people would buy up all the masks and then my friends wouldn't get them, but now my friends got them. And so I can tell you the truth about my opinion, which is that they do work, wear 10 of them. And on and on and on. I'm just using that one example. It's probably the most infamous one. 
There are countless examples of this. Not just Fauci getting something wrong. He should be investigated for that too. But it's worse. What I find much more offensive than Fauci getting things wrong consistently throughout, not just the last two years, really throughout his 40-year career of corruption and incompetence. We did an entire docu-series here at the Daily Wire on this. I presented it. Fauci unmasked. You can get it if you're a member right now at Daily Wire Plus. It, it, what I find much more offensive about him getting things wrong is that he, he lies so much. He, and he lies effortlessly. And that is very offensive, especially to a self-governing people people that are supposed to be free and able to govern themselves, when this bureaucrat who's been in power for 40 years here, presidents come and go, the elected officials come and go, Dr. Fauci remains. He outlasted Trump. He's going to outlast all of them. It's very offensive when this guy is unresponsive to the people, and it's very offensive when he repeatedly lies to the people. So, all right, good. Rand Paul wants to investigate Fauci. I want to investigate Fauci. A lot of Republicans want to investigate Fauci. And Fauci says, fine, investigate me. Good. Make it happen, guys. Okay. I don't want this to be an empty threat. He's trying to run away from the investigation. He actually said that. Those were his own words. He said, well, you know, if I, again, I'm only slightly paraphrasing. If I retire, they're probably not going to investigate me quite as much. So I should get out of the job. He actually said that in print. He knows that an investigation won't turn out very well for him. He needs to be held to account for his lies, for the way he inflicted so much misery on the American people for two years for his role in funding the Wuhan laboratory, where the virus almost certainly came from. For so much, and frankly, even for, for mishaps outside of COVID, years before COVID, when he was mishandling AIDS, when he was mishandling various vaccines and epidemics that were cropping up in the 2000s and the 20-teens, okay? All of that stuff, this guy needs to be held to account don't go squishy, Republicans. Don't just make this. They do this. They do this sometimes. Don't just make this a campaign slogan and you get the votes and then, oh, well, never mind. Fauci's out of the picture. Don't do that. Hold the guy to account. He probably will be out of the picture pretty soon if he's going to leave when Joe Biden leaves because Joe Biden does not look like he's long for this presidency. Joe Biden doesn't look like he's long for this world. Joe Biden just gave an update last night he was giving an, an update on January 6th and trying to ramp up his attacks about the Republicans and Trump in January 6th. The guy gave a zombified press conference that, that made you think the man is not well. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. So forget for a second that his voice is just completely different than it normally is. It's, he, sounds like, he sounds like Joe Biden doing one of those anonymous interviews that gangsters do. Or they kind of mess up the voice. He's got the, the voice is all crazy. But then the weirdest part of the, the interview, or the press conference rather, is that he doesn't blink. That whole talk, he doesn't blink once. His eyes are super wide, pupils, pupils dilated. They're obviously pumping this guy up with something. He's got more energy than he's ever had in a, in a kind of weird, stilted, robotic way. He wouldn't be the first Democrat president to be injected with uppers in the White House. Uh, John F. Kennedy famously had that happen to him from Dr. Feelgood. And it stands to reason that Joe Biden would need this too. Joe Biden was already 21 years old when President Kennedy was having this happen to him. The man is obviously past his prime. He's obviously not in control of himself, much less the country. And it does raise the question, 
who is calling the shots here. Speaking of drugs, there's been a big debate over puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and all sorts of weird transgender drugs, not just for adults, but for little tiny kids. Puberty blockers, kids can go on those at eight years old, okay? And there's been a big debate over this. And the White House, the Biden White House, where the Assistant Secretary of Health is a man who thinks that he's a woman, who is very, very in favor of injecting little tiny kids with these sorts of drugs. And the left-wing establishment in its entirety has gotten behind this transing the kids campaign. And then the conservatives said, hey, hold up. I think maybe it's not a great idea to inject tiny little kids with a bunch of chemicals to make them look more like the opposite sex. Maybe we should hold off on this a little bit until we, there's no way, even if you buy into transgenderism, there's no way that this can really be good for the kids. And the libs said we're anti-science and we're crazy and we're bigots and we're phobic and we're this and we're that. So the FDA earlier this month just added a warning to puberty blockers, specifically to gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists, GNRH. But that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about puberty blockers. The warning indicates the risks for the little tiny kids who take these drugs. The FDA identified six cases in females between the ages of 5 and 12 who were taking these puberty blockers, uh, which presented, quote, a plausible association between GNRH agonist use and pseudotumor cerebri. What are pseudotumor cerebri? That's also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension. This means that your brain swells up. That's what's happening when we inject these little kids with the puberty blockers. In enough cases that the FDA now has to add a warning label, kids' uh, skull, the the pressure inside kids' skulls spontaneously increases. This causes brain swelling, severe headaches, nausea, double vision, and permanent vision loss. This according to the Mayo Clinic. This according to the FDA. This is what we're doing. When Richard Levine gets up there in his little skirt with his long hair and he says, for my equality so that I can feel really good about my delusions, we need to pump little tiny confused kids full of drugs that are going to make their brain swell and make them go blind to say nothing of the other problems that these drugs cause. Because when they get a little bit older and they go on the cross-sex hormones, those drugs are causing osteoporosis. They're causing, they're causing young, otherwise would-be healthy people to become crippled, all to justify the delusions of these sick, grown men who should be in counseling, if not outright institutionalized. And instead, what we've done is put them in charge of health in our country. Can you imagine how sick that is? Can you imagine? Of course you can imagine it. We're living through it right now. These are the geniuses. These are the public health people. These are the people running our country doing this. And they say, trust the science. And they say, trust the Fauci. And they say, trust the Richard Levine. I don't have trust for any of these people. If an African witch doctor and shaman walked in here with a headdress and a big cauldron full of bones and bats and double, double toil and trouble or whatever they've got that dates back 5,000 years, I would trust that man's medical opinion much more than I would trust the medical opinion of Dr. Richard Levine or Dr. Fauci. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that fact right now. If if a, a political regime would do this, one, they're not to be trusted when it comes to their faculties of reason. They don't know true from false. But two, it's just so freaking evil. It's so evil to do this to little kids all to justify the delusions of mentally ill or, 
or sexually perverted grown men. It's just so, so wrong. You feel it in your bones. You feel it so deeply. And everyone knew this. Everyone knew, even for some of the people who maybe don't have medical degrees, which I guess is most of us, you don't need a medical degree to know that pumping kids full of these chemicals is not good for them. Okay, and now all of a sudden the white lab coats are catching up. Well, actually, maybe this isn't, maybe it isn't so good to pump little tiny kids full of all these drugs. Well, we're going to keep doing it anyway because they disregard the science and they disregard the philosophy and they disregard the natural law and they just pursue their own radical delusions. Speaking of grooming, we have a, we have a grooming update from the New York Times. Just when you think the grooming has reached the maximum amplitude, they turn the grooming up to 11. Headline in the New York Times, the books about sex that every family should read. That's going to be the title of my next blank book. The books about sex that every family should read, a comprehensive guide, and it's going to be 250 blank pages. Maybe I won't be able to use that exact title because the New York Times wrote a serious, earnest article listing these books. The books uh, are listed here and described by Elaine Blair. Elaine Blair, let's just, let's just cut right back to the biography, is a uh, Los Angeles-based critic and an inaugural winner of some prize for literary criticism. Uh, a left-wing writer uh, describes him or herself as trans, mask, all sorts of things. It's kind of like on Twitter. When you see somebody's pronouns in the bio, you know that that person is deluded and, and is going to say really crazy things. So what are the books that we have to read about sex to our kids? Just, I'll just open right from the top of the article. About eight years ago, when my daughter was in preschool, I went to the children's alcove of our local library and found the book that I'd heard was the standard bearer of liberal sex education for younger school-age children. It's so amazing. A book about eggs, sperm, birth babies, and families. This is when this person's daughter was in preschool. So I got to go get the book on, on sperm and eggs and sex for my preschooler. It's so amazing, covered many subjects, anatomy, gender, fertilization, gestation, birth, love, heterosexual intercourse, sexual orientation, child sex abuse, and HIV. You've got to tell your preschooler about HIV. What if your preschooler wants to go to a gay bathhouse? Certainly your, your preschooler needs to know the risks of HIV, right? You've got to tell. What three-year-old doesn't need to know about this? In a chapter called What's Sex?, an unclothed man and woman, partly covered by a blue blanket, kissed in missionary position. When two people care for each other, sexual intercourse is very loving, I read in the accompanying text. But, but so at this point, we should obviously take the book, burn it, <laughs> chase the author out of town on a rail, <laughs> ban this from the libraries for three-year-olds should obviously not be reading this. But this author in the New York Times, her problem with the, with the book is that the book was not radical enough because, says, then came the next chapter, what's love, with pictures of smiling families and couples in many different configurations, watching TV, eating meals, cuddling, walking dogs, with nearby text explaining the meaning of words like straight, gay, and lesbian. Now something nagged at me. All of the different kinds of couples did fun things together with their clothes on, but only the man and the woman in the previous chapter got to take their clothes off. Hold on, this book, this book on sex for my three-year-old, it only shows a man and a, a woman having sex. 
It doesn't show two dudes or two chicks or three chicks and a, and a goat. And it doesn't, you know, it, does, it doesn't, certainly doesn't go far enough for my toddler. This book's well-meaning attempt at inclusivity practically spelled out a hierarchy of value. Heterosex is sex. True. Uh, the other stuff is very loving, though very loving is off-brand. So then that was, the, that was the bad book. That one wasn't radical enough, according to the New York Times. So now they're promoting this other book. This other book is by someone named Corey Silverberg. And they include a picture of Corey Silverberg. And if, you, if I told you right now, close your eyes and picture the kind of grown man who writes books about sex for little tiny kids. I said, just picture it. And then you opened your eyes, you would see the image from your mind. He's a grown man. He's got kind of a weird haircut. He's got a kind of creepy smile. He's got his eyes are looking up. His hand is resting. His head is resting playfully on his hand. Little kee tee hee hee. He's wearing a bright green shirt, kind of groomy shirt. He's got some of his nails painted. And he spends his time writing books about sex for little kids. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? He says, it's Corey Silverberg. He's written, sex is a funny word. What makes a baby? You know sex. And they've upended the genre. Silverberg, who uses they pronouns, is skeptical of the term sex positive and would like to see a world with no normative pressures around sex. No normative pressures around sex. What is a normative pressure around sex? It means rules. It means do this, don't do that. That. A normative pressure around sex might be it's better to get married and not have sex with lots of people and just get married and remain in a monogamous marriage and maybe even be open to the possibility of, that would be a normative pressure around sex. Here's another normative pressure. Don't have sex with little kids. That's a normative pressure around sex. That's saying this is good, this is bad. Don't do the bad thing, do the good thing. That's, but we don't, this guy, Silverberg, he's imagining a world where there are no normative. Here's a normative pressure around sex. Don't have sex with animals. That's, that's a normative pressure. No, but we, we, we want a world, man. It's going to be so nice when there's no normative pressures and then we're all doing things that are completely degenerate. And I think I know exactly why these people, why the, the million dollar question, why do these people have to push this stuff on little kids? I think I know the answer. First though, is it ironic to make an ad for an ad-free viewing experience? It might be, but that's exactly the type of experience you will get when you subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. This is our growing hub for all things Daily Wire, where you will find shows, podcasts like, like this podcast, movies, bonus content, and coming soon, kids' content. Not the kids' content you read about in the New York Times, okay? Not the kids' content that Disney's trying to foist on us right now. Good, wholesome, appropriate kids' content. Daily Wire Plus is everything you love about Daily Wire, plus so much more, and minus the ads. Go to dailywireplus.com, become a member today. Get 35% off your new membership. That's dailywireplus.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. The New York Times is pushing really creepy sex books on little kids, little, little kids, like preschool little kids. And the New York Times is complaining that these books aren't explicit enough. The books where they show 
men and women having sex for three-year-olds, but they don't show two dudes having sex, mm, that's not explicit enough. Even this really creepy guy, Corey Silverberg, who's writing these kids' sex books and who says there should be no normative pressures around sex and who thinks that he's multiple people and he uses the they pronoun. The New York Times is saying, no, even he, this guy's positively wholesome compared to the kind of books that we want. We want graphic photos, we or not, not photos, at least illustrations. We want extremely vivid descriptions of really, really creepy, perverted sex stuff for not even just 15-year-olds. That would be bad enough. Not even just eight-year-olds. That'd be really, really bad. For three-year-olds, for preschool, why? Why are these people pushing this stuff on little kids? I think I have an answer. I think, I think the reason, and this is, I, I imagine a sincere belief of theirs. They think that everybody just needs to be degenerate. These people are so degenerate. They are so divorced from any good standard of living that they think that nobody could possibly even aspire to that good standard of living, that everyone else has to be degenerate too. I'm, I'm really not speaking from the position of being holier than thou or sanctimonious or saying I never make mistakes, I've never sinned, far from it. I'm speaking from the position of having a standard that you think is good and that you try to live up to and that with some work and prayer and humility and the grace of God, especially the grace of God, you actually can approach to some degree. You actually can live a more virtuous life if you practice the virtues and if you pray and if you, if you pursue a relationship with God and you allow God's grace into your life. You, that actually can happen. And I think a lot of people today just don't think that can happen because we are mired in a culture that incentivizes and encourages perpetual vice in a way that wasn't true even 30 years ago. It's hard for us to imagine because there's always vice in society. There are always drugs. There's always crime. There's always prostitutes. There's always, there's always vice everywhere. But there is a difference in degree. Even just when we're talking about the creepy sex stuff that the Times is pushing, the very fact that we are now swimming in a culture of extremely hardcore pornography, and it's just because people have cell phones and computers that wasn't true 30 years ago, even just that is going to change the way that people view the possibility of anything even resembling virtuous living. I remember a friend of mine some years ago, good pal of mine, he was uh, going through a little bit of a wilder phase in his life. And he was getting a little, a little wild. Okay. Let's just leave it at that. And we were talking about it one time and I was like, I don't know, pal, you really want to keep doing this? Do you think you really, is this really fun? Is this really fulfilling? And he said, well, you know, look, it is fun. It is very fun. But one thing that I miss is innocence. He said, I miss, I do miss innocence. Everything now is kind of jaded and cynical and people know this. If you get into drugs, if you go boozing too much, if you sleep around too much, if you, if you're just slothful, if you, if you engage in any of the vices enough, you get really jaded and the world just doesn't look as beautiful as it once did. You kind of miss innocence. And the craziest part of that is most people believe once you lose innocence, you can't get it back. You actually can. That is, and, and people don't really believe it until, until you see it or experience it, but you actually can. That's, that's what repentance 
does. Repentance, which is just, it just means changing your mind, kind of going in another direction. When you seek absolution, when you seek forgiveness for your sins, when you try to do better every day at a time, talk to any alcoholic who is in that bottom pits of despair. And then let's say they've been in AA for 20 years. They've been clean for a couple of decades now. They will be more innocent. They will be more wholesome. They will find joys and pleasure in things that are more virtuous and good and innocent. And they don't just need to go down to the bar and you know, find their only pleasure at the bottom of a bottle. You actually can regain that kind of stuff. But I think these, these perverts and these degenerates who are at the New York Times and who are writing sex books for kids and who are trying to ply kids with cross-sex hormones and mess up kids in all this way, I think they, they genuinely don't know that. They don't know that there is another option. Or they don't believe it, even if they do know that. Or they don't think that there's any way for them to improve themselves. There actually is, though. And it's, it's not even just up to them. It's not even just to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This needs to be encouraged by the state. I can't tell you. You know, getting back to the porn thing, I get letters constantly from young men who say, I, I'm hooked on porn, and it's really hard. Yeah, that's, that's, a you, that's a you problem, but it's also a political problem. Our country, until very, very recently, we still have the laws on the books, severely limited porn because they know that when porn is widespread and available, people are going to be more likely to, to use it. And when people are more likely to use it, it's going to make them a lot worse. And it's going to be really bad for them. And it's going to make their lives a lot worse. And it's going to make the country a lot worse too. And it's going to make the country less and less able to govern itself. It's not just true of porn. This is why we have laws against certain drugs. Is because with certain drugs, if they're ubiquitous, if they're all around everywhere, then it's going to be hard to resist using them. It's going to make the country a lot worse. This gets back to an essay that was written by L. Brent Bozell Jr. back in 1962 when the post-war conservative movement was really coming into shape. Brent Bozell was William F. Buckley Jr.'s brother-in-law and friend from college. Bill Buckley, fr- broadly credited with creating the post-war conservative movement. And it was a debate on the, the central issue that was going on at the time, which was the fusion of the libertarians and the traditional conservatives. And some people, like Frank Meyer at National Review, were encouraging this fusion and said it make, made a lot of sense. Other people, the traditionalists, like Brent Bozell, like Russell Kirk, some other people, were saying, I don't think this is really going to work because we've got a fundamental disagreement here. The libertarians believe that the be-all and end-all of society is freedom in their kind of narrow understanding of it. The the maximizing your choice at any given time. And the the traditional conservatives think that the be-all and end-all of society is virtue, the good life, a flourishing society. So the conservatives love freedom, but they love freedom as an instrument, as a means to an end. Freedom in its proper place can help a society pursue virtue. When we talk about the blessings of liberty that the founding fathers wrote about, they're viewing liberty in that way. They're saying liberty is good, but what we're really after is the blessings of liberty, the the human flourishing, the virtue. The liberty is just a means to an end. That's a fundamental disagreement. And sometimes you'll hear the libertarians say, well, we care about virtue too. We care about the good life too. But virtue, if it is not totally freely chosen, is not virtuous at all. So you can't have any, any incentives to have a, live a virtuous life. If, if we ban most porn, then it's not virtuous if you don't look at porn. It's only virtuous if, we've, if, if you have the temptation and you resist it. Okay, but if we follow that idea to its logical end, 
then the most virtuous society should be the one that just floods every, everything with porn. Right? If we follow that idea to its end, then the most virtuous society will be the one where we've got heroin everywhere on the street. And, and it's being offered to you. Maybe it's even being subsidized. Oh my goodness, how virtuous would you be if you were offered free heroin and you said no to it? The most virtuous society would be the one where every marriage has, uh, you know, outside of every marital home has a line of hookers being sent by the state. Because if you resist the hookers, then oh my gosh, you're the most virtuous guy in the world. Right? It's absurd. It's an argument that, that when taken to its logical conclusion, you can see the absurdity of it, which is what Brent Bozell does in that famous essay, Freedom or Virtue. I think we, we let the maximizing individual choice people run the show for a long time on the left and even leading the conservative movement. And it's led us to a very bad place where we're transing the kids, where we're doing all sorts of terrible things, and where we're now promoting porn for preschoolers. Maybe it's time to try a different course. Everything that the conservatives, the traditional conservatives, predicted at the beginning of this little experiment in Brent Bozell's essay, everything they predicted has come true. Everything the right-wingers predict has come true. You know what you hear about the slippery slope? Well, if we change the definition of marriage, pretty soon we're going to be changing the definition of sex. And then all the libs say, no, that's not true. That's great. You're a crazy conservative. That's not, what are you talking about? Well, it all happened. It's all been happening. The normalization of pedophilia, it's happening. It's all happening. We've got to try a different course. Freedom is a great thing. We love freedom. But we need to view freedom, as the founding fathers did, as the great Americans have, as having a point. What's the point of freedom? It's not just so that I can shoot up heroin. Gosh, wasn't that great? I made the free choice to shoot up heroin. I made the free choice to cheat on my wife. I made the free choice to rob my neighbor. No, that's not good. The thing, that's, <laughs> the thing that freedom is for is so you can make the right choice, so you can do the right thing. And by the way, even when there, are, when there are limitations on your freedom, let's say the state bans certain drugs or porn or whatever, certain even behaviors, that you still have freedom. You still have moral freedom. Moral freedom cannot be taken. If moral freedom is real, it cannot be taken away from you by the state or by anybody else. Now, speaking of absolute quack public health nonsense. Have you heard about abortion doulas? Have you heard about doulas? Doulas are this kind of new hippy-dippy way to uh, help women who are giving birth. So it's a kind of um, a woman who just, she isn't a medical doctor necessarily, but she knows a lot about giving birth and she helps women through the process of giving birth. And I'm actually pretty pro-doula. I think it's a good service, especially because I'm so skeptical of the medical establishment. Now there's something called an abortion doula. Anna Dace just discovered this. She took a little course on how to become an abortion doula. And it's, it's the opposite of a doula, right? You're helping a woman to not to deliver her baby and bring new life into the world, to, but to actually kill her baby. And in this training, Anna Dace came across a great confession from the libs and from these pro-abortion people. Take a listen. A fetus... The medical definition is like the tissue of a pregnancy that um, grows past eight weeks gestational age. Um, Before that, it is considered an embryo. Um, A baby or child using that sort of language um, contains connotations of personhood. Um, So when I talk about abortion, I um, talk about pregnancy tissue. Um, It's not wrong for somebody to use the words baby or child when they're talking about a pregnancy, Um, but 
like you don't necessarily want to be using language that your client might be uncomfortable with. Always important to like mirror your client's language and check in. Of course, we'll talk more about that later. It's not wrong to use the words baby or child. I just don't use them. I I call it pregnancy tissue right before I go and kill the baby or child. Sorry, I mean pregnancy tissue. That's an amazing confession. What she is saying is, yeah, we use these euphemisms, reproductive health, embryo, fetus, tissue, because we don't want to admit the reality that I will privately admit to you right now. Of course it's a baby. Of course it's a baby, but we don't want to admit that, so we just change the words. Same way that the Biden administration right now doesn't want to admit that they're in a recession, so they just change the words. We're not in a recession. The libs are so hyper-focused on this. Kamala Harris, who thinks she's running for president, Kamala Harris, vice president of the United States, just came out. She said, we've got a really big problem in this country. Really, really big problem. No, it's not the economy. No, it's not immigration. No, it's not the war in Ukraine. No, no, the really big problem is women are getting pregnant. To put it in law, there may be litigation, but we will be in a much better position than, um, than to not do that. And, you know, listen, women are getting pregnant every day in America. And this is a real issue. And we need to act with a sense of haste about what is at play, what is at stake. And codifying Roe will be an important um, moment in terms of putting back in place protections for for the folks who are at risk right now because of what the court did in Dobbs just weeks ago. This is a real issue, getting pregnant. And these women are really at risk. They're at risk of having a family. They're at risk of being happy. They are at risk of having a good, flourishing, traditional marriage and family and community and society. They're at risk. And we Democrats, we're going to do everything we can to stop that from happening. Just got some great news in my ear. This is the most important political news of the day. We just hit 1 million subscribers on YouTube. Thank you to everybody who did that. I assume the, the YouTube, the Google battalion is about to fly over my building, bomb my studio. That's it. They're not going to let me get even 1 million and one. Thank you though, sincerely to all of you who have subscribed, made the channel so big. It's amazing to think that just that 1 million subscribers, that's just on YouTube. That's not not counting Facebook or the podcast or Apple Podcast or Spotify or the Daily Wire website, obviously. So we're really, really so pleased. When, when this company started in Jeremy's pool house five or six years ago, we did not anticipate it becoming this big. So thank you. That's really, really thanks to all of you. I, uh, you, I guess you know who I am because you subscribe and you listen to this show. That's so great. In case you don't know who Kamala Harris is, here she is to introduce herself. Good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. (laughs) I, I... I think I know why Kamala Harris is doing this, but it just reads so sad. It just reads that the vice president of the United States is like a four-year-old, a five-year-old showing up to her first day of kindergarten. Hi, I'm Kamala. I, I like the color blue and I'm wearing a jacket. Uh, uh, people call me Cammy. Okay, uh, what's next? Yeah, we know you're the vice president. You don't need to tell us what shirt you're wearing. You don't. We know that your pronouns are she and her because you're a woman. We know that. 
We can move on. We can, how about we talk about like China aggressing in the South China Sea and on Taiwan? How about we talk about the Russian pipeline to Europe that caused the invasion of Ukraine? How about we talk about inflation? How about we talk about the, the Federal Reserve System? How about we talk about anything more complicated than, oh, look at my colors and look at my genitals. Ah, <laughs> not doing, I'm not doing a Kamala impression, by the way. That's a young child impression. I'm gonna, I'll work on my Kamala impression. She has to do this. You know, she has to do this. A lot of people are making fun of her. They're saying, what are you doing? Kamala has to do this because Kamala has to be the woke candidate if she's going to run in 2024. And I know it's not a natural fit. I don't think Kamala Harris is the most left-wing person in, in the Democratic Party. I don't think Kamala Harris really believes much of anything. She didn't get her political career because she was so ideologically radical or ideologically precise and such an activist. She got her political career for lots of reasons that it would be untoward to discuss on this show. But she is a, let's just say a, a smoke-filled room kind of politician, okay? She's not a... a a, a woman of the people who goes out there and she's really popular and she's got a popular agenda. And she, no, she doesn't. She was the first person out of the Democratic primary in 2020. But she's got to be the woke candidate because she's only the vice president because she's a woman who is vaguely brown. That's why. That, that's what Biden said. Biden said, I'm only going to pick a black woman. And Kamala sort of checked those boxes. And the only other options were Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi for Obama, and uh, Karen Bass, who was who is an actual communist in Congress. Those were the only three choices that were even being considered. And so by process of elimination, you get Kamala Harris. But because Kamala is the black woman identity politics candidate, she's got to play the race game. She's got to play the sex game. She's got to play the woke game. That's the only argument for her candidacy. And it's, it is as awkward as it seemed in that meeting. And the other, the other candidate who's playing this game, who is clearly trying to shiv Kamala Harris every single day on television, that would be Pete Buttigieg, who is doing better than she is. Pete Buttigieg, transportation secretary when he's not on maternity leave. Pete Buttigieg is doing so well relative to Joe Biden he actually just beat Biden in a New Hampshire poll. There was a poll uh, done by University of New Hampshire for the 2024 presidential race. And Buttigieg beat Biden by one point. Again, this is sort of damning with faint praise because Biden is so deeply unpopular right now. And Buttigieg actually did relatively quite well compared to Joe Biden in New Hampshire in the last presidential election. But it just shows you how weak Biden is. It shows you how weak really the entire field is. The Democrat prospects, no matter who the nominee is, are not great, especially right now. We're waiting on these, these inflation numbers, especially right now, or I'm sorry, we're waiting on the, the GDP numbers because the White House is preemptively redefining recession so that every newspaper in America doesn't read the headline, America's in a recession. So this happened on television a couple of days ago. Now the National Economic Council director, Brian Deese, goes right up there at the White House and he explains how a recession is not really a recession. On the, uh, the definition of recession, which has been an issue that I know many of you have uh, reported on, um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Usually when politicians make some declarative statement like that, 
You say, well, there's a little bit of a half truth here. And I guess there's a kind of, you could kind of argue, but you're speaking. But here, no, the answer is no, you're just lying. You're just wrong. That is the textbook definition of a recession. Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth is a recession. Open up your dictionary right now. You can even go on Google. They, I don't think they've changed the Google definition yet. That is the definition of a recession. This is the same thing they did with vaccines. You remember this? I, don't, I haven't seen anyone else make this connection, but it just shows you it's their, it's their modus operandi. With the vaccines, they said, but what's a vaccine? A vaccine stops you from contracting or spreading a virus. And they said specifically with COVID, these vaccines, you take the vaccine, you won't catch COVID, you won't spread COVID. And then the vaccines didn't do that. And the vaccines didn't function like normal vaccines. And so what did they say? Three months later, they said, no, 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 the vaccines, they just stop you from going to the hospital. No, no, the vaccines, they just may, may, they'll just mitigate your risk of death. Vaccines were never supposed to stop you from catching the virus. Vaccines were never supposed to stop you from spreading the virus. No, you all said that they would do that. Fauci, Walensky, Biden, you all said they would do that. And then they didn't do that. And so rather than admit that you were wrong, rather than try to fix the problem with the vaccines, you just changed the definition. You're just changing the definition of everything. You're just, you're just lying. And you're hoping that through the transformative power of your words, you can change reality. And that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to sell with voters. I don't think that's what the polls show. And when the people put the better representatives in charge in November, I want to see endless investigations. And then at the end of those investigations, at the end of those endless investigations, once they're really exhausted, I want to see consequences for the people who have lied to our faces and disrespected the American people and made our lives significantly more miserable for two years. I want justice. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina and Hair and Makeup by Cherokee Heart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Merrick Garland reportedly looks at criminally charging Donald Trump. Kamala Harris announces her pronouns. And the IMF predicts a global recession. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Hey, everybody. 